Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. BT Sport Pods. Hi, welcome to Michael Calvin's Football People. I'm joined by David Priest, the coach and columnist, and by Richard Amofa of The Athletic. There's a timely guest this week. Emmy Martinez has just been named the world's best goalkeeper in the FIFA Awards. Now, it's not often you get the chance to get inside the mind of a World Cup winner, but he's given us a vivid insight into the mentality of a champion. Listen out for his recollection of that 123rd-minute save that effectively secured the title. I found him fascinating, passionate and extremely impressive. I suspect you will do too. Emmy, first of all, thanks for joining us. Much appreciated. I spoke to Patrick Vieira earlier in the year and he spoke about what it meant to him to win the World Cup. And it was the personal things, giving his shirt to his mum and things like that. But it was, he was humbled by what it meant to people who will never meet, millions of people on the streets, and exactly the same things happened to you. What sort of effect does that have on you? You know, that's a peak life moment for you, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Obviously, I, I touch a sky, like my dad would say. Half of the kids want to be messy, half of the kids want to be a goalkeeper now. Obviously, it's a proud moment in my career. I always say that I hate individual awards, you know, now with the FIFA Best Award. doesn't satisfy me. What it satisfies me is just seeing the young children trying to be a goalkeeper now because they, they love what they've seen in the World Cup, you know. So whatever happened in my career from now on, I will always be grateful for the chance I had in the World Cup. Mm. World Cups are special because they literally create football history. Yeah. You're a part of that history now. That save three minutes into added time from Carlo Moana. Can you talk me through that? What are you seeing at that moment? Are you just operating on instinct or are you watching body language, eye movement? What are you doing? Can you talk me through that save? It's a moment of tense because it was a minute left in the clock. It reminded me like a basketball game. 
last ten minutes, which is backwards and forward, backwards and forward, backwards and forwards. And you know, in basketball, when there's the last thirty seconds, and a team had the ball, and then they lost it, and then they nearly conceded in the other end. That was the same. He it's a long ball from Lloris, We hit it back, and then Konate gets a touch. He hook it back into our, our zone, and it was a great ball between my two center backs. And all of a sudden, it was money one v one against me with the ball bouncing in the middle of the goal. So I kind of like, oh my god, that happened. So I I tried to put pressure on him by reducing the space towards the near post. And once he's about to hit it, I open up myself like my Pilates sessions. And, and put my body so hard and my face right in front of him, thinking, please, God, make sure he, I, I save it. You know, I, I wanted the ball to hit me, even if it was right in the middle of my face. And then I got up really quickly and it was a counter-attack and we nearly scored and win the World Cup. So it was like, I couldn't even have time to celebrate it or think too much. Mm. When you win something or the biggest thing, you're in some ways giving something back to the people who've helped you. Who have been the key people in your career that maybe you've thought about in the last couple of weeks? Obviously your parents, they must have given up a lot for you. And maybe a coach that maybe inspired you? Obviously, mum and dad, my brother, my wife, she's, she's my mentor as well. She's, she's the one who's been a long time since I was 18, 19. My kids inspired me as well to be a better man. But, and then obviously I had coaches that helped me for my career. Neil Carter was one of them. He's been here the last two seasons with me at Villa. Obviously been consistent in the last two years with him. But I had many coaches, you know, Sal Bebo, Tony Roberts, Jerry Payton, Arsenal. Obviously the, the goalie coach from the national team, Martin. I had really good goalie coaches, but Neil Carter was one, was one of them as well that he helped me. We had Aaron Ramsdale on a couple of weeks ago, and he talked about uh, the importance of still being that kid who loves diving around in the mud. Do you still get that sort of sense of childish enjoyment from your job? Yes, I am. I'm a child, you know. <laughs> I'm one of them where I don't like just to dive around, just to dive around. I like more to compete for something. Let's say we, we barely be training and we're doing shooting, and I normally the strikers do 50 shots and they just, all of a sudden they chip the ball, they start doing banter. And I like to play for money or for shampoo, for conditioner. I say, look, only 10 shots and do it properly, like in the game. So I do 10 shots properly and, uh, and I actually train like in a game. And that helps me to lead into a Saturday, you know, not just dive to dive. Mm. Uh, I'm more like do things to make sure I face out in the game. Mm. Do you think goalkeepers are born and not made? because you're in a very exposed position. You get criticism and you need to have a very, very strong character to have that position. So are you born to the position? No, I was made. I, was made. I wasn't born to be a goalkeeper. I was born to be a winner because I was, since I was a young, young child, I was obviously born to be a winner in everything. And then I was made a goalkeeper. I made myself mentally strong. I made myself playing out from the back. And because I was playing football as a young age, I was playing futsal. So I tick all the boxes in, in such a young age. But now I see my, my boy, he's only four, and he's so competitive. I, I can see why I'm, I've been successful because I was exactly the same that, that my boy. Mm. Are you harder on yourself than anyone else? Yeah. Yeah, sometimes too much. And that's something that... I, 
that I had to learn from my career. Even now, you know, I was critical with myself the other day against Arsenal, even though that was probably unluckiest goal that I ever seen, or the unluckiest goal that I had in my career in the 93rd minute. I was the first one to be critical and to apologize for my teammates, you know, and it was a mistake. No, but I lost a game for my team, you know, and, and I'm the first one to apologize. But sometimes that could be bad for me, you know, because I'm too critical. Mm. You had six loans. That must have been a real test of your resolve and your self-belief. That's when I say to you that I was made, not born. Mm. I made myself through the bad moments, through bad loans, good loans, injuries I had through my young career. Helped me today that being fit for the last 10 years because I learned how to look after myself. I learned how to be in a bad place and saying I don't want to be here anymore and I want to be somewhere else and, and working myself mentally, finding a psychology that helped me to not go back to that place. And so that's when I say to you that I was made. You're terrific, especially in, in penalty situations. Again, what are you reading in the build up to it? You have to be a student of human nature in that situation. It's just luck and, and just I'm agile and I can push. And all my life, I, I believed that I was good at penalties. And I always, when I face a penalty shootout, I know that I'm going to save two. Whatever happens, whoever shoots, I know I'm going to get one or two. And that's my self-belief that leads me to push and have the luck. You know, when you believe that you're going to save it, you do it. You really need to trust in your words. Because if you say you're not good enough, you're going to die the wrong way every time. So when I say you're not going to beat me, you're not going to beat me. That self-confidence I got, it just takes me being good at it. You've reached the top of the mountain, the World Cup. What are your remaining personal ambitions? And can you achieve those ambitions at Aston Villa? I want to achieve something that no one achieves, you know, um, or it's been hard to achieve. And obviously people will say, no, after the Copa America or after the World Cup, Amy's going to go and play Champions League and it's going to leave. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's the easiest part, you know, that, that that's easy being leaving now in January, going to a club playing the Champions League and oh that's it seems everything easy. But actually was was that a real challenge for me? Winning a World Cup for Argentina after thirty six years, yes. Beating the champions of America after twenty eight years in the Maracana, yeah, that was a challenge. Winning the finalissima against the champions of Europe, that was a challenge. And now winning something for Aston Villa after I don't know, 30 years? I don't know how long it was. 40. 40 years? Well, well, the European Cup, 82. That's a challenge, you know. That's a challenge. And that's something that I'm made for. For challenges, for for not always having the, the easy way out. And we got one of the best managers and winning things for, in Europe. So mm. I'm up for the challenge. I spoke to Unai last week. And what really impressed me about him was how analytical he is and how he drives himself harder probably than he drives anyone. Describe the experience of playing for a man of that character and experience, please. It's good. It's challenging. You know, it's demanding. It's driven, you know, and that little bit relies on myself. I'm driven, you know, I'm always uh, analyse myself and I look what I can do better. It's always my fault first rather than someone else. And actually, he's similar to me. He always thinks his mistake for not picking the right player or his system. And so he works harder for the following week, gives us a different plan. Uh, and I like people to be demanding, obviously, to not relax. And he's one of them. 
You're very expressive, but how important is it? And maybe this is something you could talk to young goalkeepers who might be listening to this, to be very cold and analytical inside. Yeah, you need, obviously, when you're young, you need to be driven. I always have objectives in my life, even though when I was such a young age, obviously, people, now young kids want to buy a Range Rover or want to buy a Louis Vuitton bag rather than thinking, okay, I want to buy a, a house for my mum or a house for, I don't know, my grandma. And that's something that I always had in my young age. I wanted to, to be successful for my family. Always find a, a reason why you're doing it. Obviously, you, you have to do it for yourself, but I think if you find the reason why you're doing it, for who you're doing it to, I think it, it will help you to stay on the line in your career. I always done it for my mum and dad, uh, secure them financially. I bought them a really nice house for them, for my brother. And then when my child was born, I was doing it for them. You know, I always wanted to be on the line for them. I didn't want to go through through the easy ways. I always wanted to be through the hard ways and make sure when I retire, I would say, you know what, I gave myself all. And even you know, if you didn't make it, if you didn't win the World Cup, if you am not playing for a Premier League club, I would say I'll try my best. Mm. I noticed the tattoo on your calf has now got three stars above the World Cup. How long did it take you to get that? Oh, like seven hours. Seven hours? Yeah, it's a long tattoo. And it took me seven hours to do a tattoo, but it cost me nearly five years of hard work to do it. And I always think all my hours or maybe Sundays when my team was playing, I wasn't even in the squad when I was 20, 21. Uh, obviously, I was talking to one of the coaches, which is how Bebo this morning. I asked him, and I used to work with him Sundays for two hours. And I remember, oh, that's enough. And I said, no, no. If I'm not in the squad, if I'm not playing, I think I should do more. And this morning, I actually was talking to him, and he was remembering all those Sundays working with him. And he would say, I'm proud of you, you know. And, and those little things when old coaches tell you that, and it makes you satisfied. Mm. It's the achievement in the spotlight is always prepared for and almost sometimes guaranteed in the shadows yeah exactly and and I will always keep working hard I will always listen to the coaches yeah you're 30 goalkeepers mature later when do you think you'll be at your peak I think from now on I think from now on for what I've been through for what I have achieved I think now I'm starting to get to my peak I, I think I won the Copa America and I, I won. I played my first season here at Villa and I said, oh my God, it was outstanding the first season. But actually, I, f I feel like I'm more complete now. So obviously, the season is nearly going to an end, 15 games, and try to finish it strong. I think my next season, my next few seasons, I think you will see the best version of myself. Right. As a final question, your nickname from your days at Independiente, is Debo? Yeah, you're right. As after a cartoon boy. What was that character like? And do you really see something of yourself yeah. in Debo? Yeah, <laughs> that, you need to watch it. It was a, it was a funny guy, always a, electric. He was a chai boy. He liked to drive karting. He was good in football. Uh, he was a little bit ginger. Uh, so I was when I was young. You were ginger? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I was a little bit ginger boy. So it, it was relying on me. So all my, obviously my best mate from that age, age 11, 12, now is my best mate. 
he started calling me, oh, you look like Dibu, because I was funny, you know, just laughing, I was chai, and I was in good mood. So that's it, and then that's that's how it started. And now I'm 30, I'm just the same Dibu. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that might have been a cartoon, but actually in real life, you've not done too badly. <laughs> no, 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 I'm the same Dibu. <laughs> good, well, thank you for your time. No, thanks to you. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Dave, he said he's not one for individual awards, and they are by their nature subjective. But in terms of talent and technique and temperament, can he claim to be the best in the world? Well, certainly in the in the past twelve months and well, maybe last two years, he's proved that he's he's well worthy of being up there when it comes to his consistency. You know, he pointed that in the interview that. That's what he's brought to his game, but that's just come because of the opportunity he's had to, to play regular football. It's been a long, long apprenticeship for him to get to this point. But the fact that he, he, he shies away from the, the individual awards as he did, I think it just speaks volumes of the the kind of characters that, that especially Argentinians are. There's a mythologizing of the of the Argentinian national team, but it's it's more to do with a, a greater sense of purpose rather than just an individual. And, and I think, you know, of course, in their team at the moment, in the, in the past decades, it's been centred around one person in, in Messi. But for the rest of them, collectively, the motivation has always been for the country, for for their families and, and for the, the whole group themselves. And that's one of the reasons why he's taken so long to get to this point. But the reason that's kept him going all this time to get to this point, despite all the, the setbacks of the, the fatal loans, the injuries, all of that is motivation for him to keep going. Richard, I, I love that line about touching the sky. I think that's beautifully put. You know, but as David said there, you know, he had six loans. That proves something about him as a person more than anything else, doesn't it? That he came through that. He proved himself in adversity, didn't he? Yeah, well, no, in, in, in his words, he was made not born on these loans, wasn't he? As you say, obviously on loans, you have good times, you have bad times, you have injuries. And he spoke a lot about building his mentality during that process. And as you do when you go on loan, you either sink or swim. And, you know, he was making his name in, in the lower leagues of, of English football. You know, he wasn't really given a chance really until the burnt Leno injury, which is pretty much a sliding doors moment. But as you say, he went, went from pretty much, as you say, just reserve football within his comfort zone, really, straight into, into Oxford. I mean, his first game was as an emergency loan at Oxford on the final day of the season in 2012. And they needed a win, basically, to make the playoffs. So, you know, imagine going from, as you say, playing in front of maybe, you know, a man and his dog and, you know, a few hundred people to, you know, a few thousand fans needing a win for promotion. And, you know, I think they end up losing their game 3-0 in the end. But to really be chucked into that to that zone, that mindset where, you know, you really need to win something and there's pressure on you and you need to deliver, you need to be on top of your game. Those things mould you. It only makes you a bigger, stronger person. And as you say, you know, six loans, you'd have experienced the highs and the lows, but it's created this this, this beast mentally and, and, and physically as well. I mean, it's a huge, like, big guy, but this this kind of mentality monster, to, to use the, to, to borrow a phrase. And um, as you say, it really comes out in this interview, as, as, as David said, you know, him talking about you know, this bigger purpose, doing it for his family, doing it for his team, doing it for his club. And you can really see how that helps him on the pitch. Mm. Did you identify David with him when he spoke about those solitary Sunday sessions with his old coaches, you know, when he wasn't in the team 
and not even in the squad. And he was there practicing on his own, you know, trying to be the best he could be, to use a horrible cliche. Do you identify with that? 100%. Uh, and I think more than most, I haven't spent half of my career on the bench as well. So it's um, <laughs> it, it, it does require a, a certain mentality. And I think those extra sessions, what they do is that it, it's... Of course, it's there's an attitude of to get into that top spot to win the number one spot. You have to work so much harder than the uh, other goalkeepers in the group. But also, it's kind of like a, a self-flagellation, just to rid yourself of all the frustrations and 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 all those feelings around not playing, because it is a frustrating time. There's no there's no worse time for a, a number two goalkeeper than the five or ten seconds before kickoff when the crowd's being whipped up towards the whistle going and you just want to be the one person out on the pitch and it, it's it can be difficult to deal with but like I said th- those hard sessions that's how you that, that's one of, the, one of the ways that you do deal with it you just try and work that frustration out and, and of course like I said it's it, it's a case of just trying to work harder than everyone else to prove yourself to the manager yeah talking about Working hard, Rich. When we finished speaking, he was heading off to what he anticipated would be the hardest session of his week. You know, he spoke about how intense the sessions are under Unai Emery at Villa. Now, we heard on here from Emery himself about the work ethic that underpins his work. That type of intensity seems to be registering. He seems to be quite comfortable with that, doesn't he? Yeah, it's, it's interesting, as you say, listening to the interview and, and seeing him do other interviews before. Uh, this is Martinez I'm talking about. You know, they're, they're quite similar characters in terms of what they demand from themselves and, and from their teammates. And as you mentioned, you know, Emery, you know, his, his success, the bedrock of that has really been on, on hard work and on organisation. And I find him a fascinating character, as you say, when you spoke to him recently and, you know, covered the uh, Villa Southampton game recently. Just hearing him speak, it just it almost captivates you in terms of the detail and the level of detail he's he's willing to to go into much more than other managers. And I just find him a fascinating character. And I feel someone like Martinez, who you can tell was constantly looking to improve, looking to get that extra one percent. I feel was pretty much a you know a match made in heaven. And I, I like his honesty as well. So I guess I you know after the Arsenal game, you know, Emery was quite honest about not being happy with Martinez going up for that corner at the last minute. Mm. I'm sure Martinez would have taken it on the chin. And as you say, that relationship, that that honesty, that hard work, that integrity, you know, it, it goes through the side. And someone like Martinez, who's pretty much one of the senior figures now, to have that kind of lieutenant on the pitch to get those values through the side, through a particularly young side as well, I think it's really, really important. So, yeah, to have someone like Martinez on the pitch for a manager like Emery, I think it's really, really important. Mm. Yeah, because it, it does always, it's always struck me being at training grounds, David, when you see the goalkeepers alone working, sort of usually the three of them with a goalkeeping coach like yourself. You know, there's there's a real, I don't know how to put it really, almost like there's there's an air of sacrifice about some goalkeepers I always find. Do you agree with, with Martinez when he says, as Richard referred to earlier, when he says that goalkeepers are made and not born? Yeah, I think if you look at this and ask a lot of goalkeepers, there's probably less and less now who want to be goalkeepers from the start. That's changed a little bit when people like Emmy Martinez, Manuel Neuer become a more poster boys for for goalkeeping. But I'd say in in the recent past, it's it's maybe it's been less of a case that goalkeepers always want to be goalkeepers. What it does though, goalkeeping takes a certain mentality, 
requires a resilience, a sort of real defiant attitude. And I think that when you look back to his days as a child, his brother was three years older than him. And he was always competitive with his brother, but because he was older, he stuck him in goal. He wanted to beat him. And he found a channel for this sort of defiance that he had, this um, this resilience. And and that grows into sort of a, comp a real competitive nature. It's not like even 1v1 against other people. Goalkeeping, a lot of the time, is, is a battle with yourself. There's a real sort of self-competition to prove to yourself, to prove to other people just to not be beaten. And that's not just a, a battle against somebody else or a striker, it's a battle with yourself. And I think that all that time that he's taken to get to this point when he hasn't played, when he's had that frustration times, that's a battle with yourself to keep going. And it's almost to have the self-confidence that he's got, especially in penalty uh, situations, it becomes, mm. all, you have to be sort of like delusional. You're convincing yourself all the time. And then once you get past that point, which he obviously has, then, you know, he becomes the beast he is now. Yeah, I was intrigued, actually, incidentally, Dave, that obviously the vividness of his recall of that, that save that, you know, basically won Argentina the cup. Is that typical of goalkeepers? Do they actually slow it all down so that they can actually, you know, recall it almost frame by frame? Listen, there's one thing you're taught not to do during a game, and that's to replay mistakes. But... Because of the time that you get in in breaks in the game and the, where the, ball, the time the ball spent at the other end of the ground, you do it naturally and you're almost, you're analysing things. So you almost, I used to walk back into the position, sort of envision where the shot was coming from. Should I have been to the left? Should I have been here? And even after the game, you're always being so self-critical. And even on Twitter, I get accused of being sort of ultra-critical of goalkeepers sometimes. Not very often, but about the really tiny details that can be insignificant. But you do go at that level of detail thinking, you know, that would make a difference in a game. That's how you, you approach it yourself. So that's how you approach the your analysis of other goalkeepers as well. He's certainly someone who's who, who will think about the game and you don't make that improvement that he's made without doing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Rich, you know, he stressed his loyalty to Aston Villa. But we all know how football works, don't we? Do you expect some moves for him in the summer? I think, well, speculation's always going to be rife. As you say, he's now officially the best goalkeeper in the world. Like, look at what he's won. You know, the World Cup, Copa America, even, even the uh, finalissima against Italy last summer. So he's really building up a body of work, which becomes indis indisputable, really. And, you know, he's, he's spoken about being an, an ambitious character, and, you know, and naturally you'd want to test himself at the highest level in the Champions League against the world's best players. But, you know, I mean, in the interview, he said all the right things, didn't he? And based on kind of what David was saying and, and hearing him speak, it is a bit believable in terms of him wanting to almost do it the, the hard way in inverted commas and try and achieve something with, with Aston Villa. To say the fact he's kind of grafted his way through the six loads at Arsenal, Winning all those all those tournaments from from adversity, you can see where that mentality comes from. But I guess at the, at the same time, it's a short career, and you do want to test yourself consistently against the best players in the world. And I don't think anyone could begrudge him if he did turn around and say, "Look, I want to play Champions League football," because I think I think he's earned the right. Mm. Yeah, Man United, David, are mentioned as one of the clubs looking for a world class goalkeeper. You know, despite the recent excellence of David de Gea. 
There's also another goalkeeper linked to them, David Raya of Brentford. He's turned down two offers of a new contract, so he seems ready to move. Do you expect some new faces either at Spurs or Man United? Certainly at Spurs, I think at Manchester United, it's uh, it's amazing what coming to an end of contract can do with, with a player's form. I think <laughs> it, it, it's... It, I, I, I know from experience of not knowing myself teammates, but it's... It's a great motivation, really, and it's it's far from just being a phenomenon. But um, yeah, it, it, I mean, David Ray is somebody who's proved himself. Somebody else who's come back from his own sort of setbacks. You know, if you remember being beaten from Joe Bryan's free kick um, in the playoff final the year before they were promoted, that could have had a big impact on his career. Yet he came back the next season and won promotion with Brentford. He's come back from a, a I think it was an ACL injury. 2021 so he's probably thinking at a time that's because of he's been through that now he needs to take the next step and I think it'd be um, Spurs would probably be the the, the the better of the two for him I think he sort of he goes against what Hugo Lloris is you know Hugo Lloris is sort of he's a traditional goalkeeper if they want to move things on the way that they play the Davery is perfect for that Spends a lot of time outside his uh, outside his box sweeping up, so teams can play a high uh, a high line and and with the ball, I think he probably takes more touches than any player in there. It's certainly when he was in the championship, he did, and it's him when he's in the in the Premier League. So I would say, yeah, Spurs. Yeah, what about Manchester United, Rich, and the, the galvanising effect of winning a trophy? You know, that was reward for Eric Ten Hag at Wembley almost textbook leadership, really. Very firm, principled, pretty far-sighted. Will they kick on from here, do you think? Yeah, I think it's it's huge for United, really, especially over the last few years where when they lost four semi-finals under Odi Gunnar Solskjaer and getting over that line will be huge, especially where you, you kind of see the, the depth that, that United were at. Even at the beginning of the season, when Ten Hag came in, really. And I know I know it's been said before, and I said this at the time, but I feel like after that Brentford game, when they lost 4-0, when um, Ten Hag took the players on the run, I think it was 13k, and Ten Hag joined in with them, I think that was huge because, you know, okay, it, it kind of symbolises that, okay, I'm with you. You know, we, we win as a team, we lose as a team. And I know that is cliche, but as a player... You know, you probably look at that and think, well, the manager's with me in this. You know, it builds that togetherness, it builds that, builds that resilience. And as you say, that United are in fantastic form, and as you say, coming into form at the right time as well. You know, a lot of young players only getting better, so you can really see this having a galvanising effect. As you say, the Barcelona win goes into the Newcastle win, and you know, United have played a lot of games since the World Cup. I'm not sure it's more than anyone else, but they've played, played a lot of games and. To build that momentum is, is a massive thing, especially at this stage of the season. And you can really see it just increasing now, hopefully from United's perspective anyway, with, uh, with no injuries. Dave, Casemiro was also recognised in the FIFA awards. Now, he's shaping up as the signing of the season in many ways. You've got the complementary importance, it seems to me, of Lissandro Martinez who has that mentality that we've talked about, about the Argentinians, don't we? Are they the two key players for United, do you think? Yeah, I mean, listen, Lissandro Martinez, he's, he's everything you want as a goalkeeper in a defender. He's very good on the ball, but his mentality to defend the box and to defend the goal is is unreal. And you'd, you'd if you're being in a back four, you'd want four of him in, in, in your back line. 
But also, that I think it's the influence that these players have had on other people. You know, you look at the likes of Luke Shaw, who's struggled for consistency in a lot of the time that he's been Manchester United. He's finding consistency. Every time I watch Aaron Wan-Bissaka at the moment, he looks, certainly, maybe he's not a different player, but he's just played to a high level. And then obviously you've got players further forward, like Marcus, which we'll probably go to talk about because he's, the, the attitudes of, of Casemiro, whether it's him showing other players how they should do it, rather than just being a, 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 a telling other people to do it. And, and, and I think that's what Lissandro does as well. He just, you know, by what he, he leads by what he does rather than what he says and just spreads all the way throughout the team. Yeah. Marcus Rashford, Richard, you know, he's being mentioned as one of the world's best strikers at the moment. Now, praise like criticisms is pretty cyclical, isn't it? But in this case, is it justified? 100%. I mean... The goal scoring record speaks for itself. I think there are 28 goals in, in all competitions, club and country. You, you can't dispute that. And he's just, he's scoring all kinds of goals now, you know, through his head, he's coming in from, from the right. And I, I like the fact as well that he's much more composed in front of goal. I feel like maybe last season, season before, maybe a bit frustrated and, you know, almost tried to burst the ball. But now you're seeing him, you know, placing it, you know, bottom corner, top corner, and, and I say really kind of deciding games and having that end product, which we all know he, he can do. And just to touch on David's point as well, I think it's really important about Casemiro, the likes of him and Martinez as well, because, you know, if you're an attacker, you know, you want to go forward with the confidence that if you lose the ball, you're going to have the players there to sweep up. And the likes of Casemiro doing that, the likes of Luke Shaw propping him up behind him and Martinez on, the, on that left side. I mean, that's 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 a fantastic trio partnership there, isn't it? With, with, with those three there. And you see them really link up really, really well. And it makes a massive difference. And it's really interesting, actually, in, in the off-season, you know, Rashford is doing a lot of work with his personal trainers and it was getting a lot of stick you know, he's doing it for Instagram. You know, what, what's the motivation behind this? But look at him now, he's come back bigger, stronger, fitter than ever. And and it's clear to see that that work has, has paid off. So let's say more, more power to him. He's had a fantastic season. And I think all, all the plaudits are justified. Last season when he was off form, you know, maybe the negativity was and criticism was was justified and, and fair. And so he's kind of stepped up to the plate now as United's main man and he's having a fantastic season. Mm. United are at Liverpool on Sunday, Dave. Should they be beware of the example of Liverpool, of the impact of chasing on too many fronts? Yeah, I mean, it's a lesson to them, but also that's the fact that they've got over that sort of the first hurdle, they've, they've got the, the first one out of the way. I don't think anybody... It's been mentioned that it's the quadruple is on for them, but I, I don't think that it's... it's Anybody really expects them to do it. And for Manchester United, that can be a, a great strength for them. Nobody expects them to go out and do that, to win all four. But they've put themselves in a great chance of doing that. And it just it just shows you exactly uh, how far that Eric Ten Hag has, has brought them this season. Yeah, with Liverpool, despite the tribal intensity of that fixture, Rich, are they effectively looking at a one-game season in the Bernabeu? Yes, no, and I know that's on the fence, but <laughs> yeah, yes, in that. I mean, obviously, if they if they get knocked out, you know, that's that's chances of silver. We're gone for them this season, and you know, it's a massive contrast from last season, as you just mentioned, of quadruples and and things like that. But also, as you say, just the impact it could have in their season. You know, if they go out on their shield and and make you know lose gallantly or say or even win, you know, that can have a, a, a galvanizing effect on the rest of their campaign. 
But if they go out like they did in the first leg, you know, it's it's difficult to, to see where Liverpool are at the moment. It could have a disastrous effect. I mean, they're still not in a bad position considering how poor their season is. I mean, obviously it's poor for their standards, but they're still there or thereabouts. I mean, they're not not far off the top four. The only, the only concern for them is that their next five or six games are quite difficult and the sides around them have quite winnable games. So it's more a case of how can they bounce back from that game. So whether they win or lose is okay. We need to regroup. We need to put a run together, which we know they're capable of doing and see where they're at around April time and see if they can really push for, for that top four. But the fact they're not too far off it, considering how badly they've been, especially at the back, I think will give them optimism to think, okay, even if we get knocked out of the Champions League, it may even be a, a blessing in disguise, no distractions, let's focus on the league, we have more time in the training field to, you know, hone hone in any mistakes which we've been doing and, you know, there have been many and, 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 and really make that push. Mm. You know players really well, Dave. Is not being in the Champions League the handicap in terms of recruitment, especially with players of the quality of Jude Bellingham, is it the handicap that we assume it is? Do players of that standard demand Champions League football? And if you don't qualify, which, you know, let's be realistic, Liverpool don't look like doing it, does that mean that he won't go there? I think it's because the um, the plan that the club have to set out to a player to convince him to, to come to a club in in that situation has to be clear. You know, it has to be more about just this is what we can offer you. It's about this is what we're going to do with the team. This is what uh, our vision is, and it's, it's a it's a bit of a crossroads situation for Liverpool at the moment because they, they, there's been accusations that's that Klopp has been too loyal to some players. And there's no doubt that there's the time of some players has got to come to an end because they can't they can't continue next season like this year. There's obviously the drop off in the, the physical status has been massive, but it's just human nature sometimes. It's the players stop responding to a manager's voice or they get too comfortable in their in their environment. And that's no sort of um it's 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 not a real criticism. It's just like I said, it's just human nature, and that's what happens. But then you just think it's a chance for to give uh, sort of rebirth to certainly the de- centre defence and the centre midfield. And we, everyone knows about the issues that uh, they're having there. But the likes of Naby Keita, Fabinho, Joe Gomez, and uh, and Joel Matip, they're all in in real danger of not being central to to what happens at Liverpool next season. And I think, you know, the likes of Jude, like you talk about Jude Bellingham, could they attract him to the club? Of course they could, because it's Liverpool and because of what they've done the, in the past five or six seasons. But they've got to make sure that they they do a lot more convincing off the pitch than they're doing on the pitch at the moment. Yeah. Bellingham, of course, Richard, will be at Stamford Bridge on Tuesday. Do you expect Borussia Dortmund to go through and protect that first leg league they've got? I do, yeah. Uh, they come into the game in good form. They've won their last nine games in a row. And what's impressing me about them is that okay, we all know that their gung ho nature. And, you know, they 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 have won the odd game four three. They've won a four two, but you know they've also proven in the last game that they can grind out results. You know, one 0 away from home at Hoffenheim, it's a good result any time. A really difficult place to go. And the way Chelsea are playing at the moment, really, really low in confidence, which I'm sure we'll touch on shortly. But yeah, I, I'd expect Dortmund to to come out and. Uh, protect their leader and probably extend it as well. They're really confident in their ability. Mm. 
Is there any sense, David, that the Chelsea players, you know, with the possible exception of maybe Thiago or Aspilicueta, have actually mentally already moved on from Graham Potter? He could probably make a case that they've never got to a place where they were with him anyway. You know, he, <laughs> yeah, true. He, yeah, he's not yeah. he's not really had that chance. You know, you've, you've had a lot of the players have been away for for the World Cup as well, and. I remember a long time ago, a manager talked to me about team spirit and how you galvanise and gel a team. And he said, you know what the best way to do is? Win games. doesn't matter what you do off the field and you, you try all these bonding sessions, whatever form they may take, just winning games. And that's that's his biggest problem at the moment. And, and up until sort of the the last couple of weeks, even the Southampton game, they've they've still been creating chances. They've still been... I'd say deserving more out of the games that they've been getting, but when you're at Chelsea and when you've got the the tools that they have at their disposal, you want it to be so much com- more convincing than what they are at the moment. Mm. Are we getting to the tipping point, Richard? You know, will the pressure be unsustainable if they go out of Europe, or even if they fail to stop the slide against Leeds on Saturday? And Leeds, of course, you know, they're already a more patient, creative team under. Javi Garcia, who you know, infamously says he only sleeps between two and three hours a night at the moment. Yeah, only because it will get to a point where you're thinking, okay, are we going to get Champions League? And you're looking at, or even into Europe, and you're looking at the the investment that they that they've made. And it's interesting. I think I think Potter is a fantastic coach, but you look at the squad that they're amalgamating and you're thinking maybe they just need like a, a manager it's almost like not not Ancelotti of course but a similar ilk who can just manage the players manage their expectations and almost say go out there and, and play your game and do what you have to do to to get three points I think sometimes maybe things can be overcomplicated you know it's clear you know the top and changing in the first 11 for example that naturally trying to find his his, his best squad and again, like I said about Liverpool, maybe them being knocked out of the Champions League may be a blessing in disguise because it may actually give Potter time on the training pitch to find his best eleven and to work on certain strategies. And he's uh, struggling to score goals, as you know, as you, David said, like they're creating chances, but they're struggling to get it behind. They're struggling to put the ball in the back of the net. And as I say, defensively, there's one or two lapses which is costing them in games. So. Maybe having that extra time in the training pitches where Potter will come into his own. We know he's a fantastic coach, and maybe from then we'll see a, a turnaround in their fortunes. But of course, if, if the slide continues, maybe the board may start getting a bit more twitchy. They've come out and, and shown confidence in him, and, and they've been unwavering in that. But I think losing to Leeds, massive game, obviously for the fans as well, like like Tottenham was. It it will be huge if they, if they lose that game. Mm. Thomas Frank registered the disgust of many managers about you know, things like the death threats issued against Graham Potter's family, uh, David. Will that sort of extreme reaction, which you know sadly we're becoming quite used to in this social media age, will that extreme reaction almost cause other ambitious coaches, do you think, to pause and actually reconsider their career paths? In other words, is it worth it? It's already happening, Mike. I speak to a lot of um, managers who who talk about taking under twenty three jobs out of the limelight so they can they can do what they actually enjoy without everything that comes with it, all the criticism and it's it's so toxic it's it's ridiculous and and what doesn't help either when you have 
fellow people in the media who were almost reveling and calling for Graham Potter to be sacked because he doesn't know what he's doing, rather than just actually analysing the situation, making personal attacks on Nathan Jones and and adding fuel to the fire in already a difficult situation. You know, it's not... Going managing the Premier League isn't easy. And this, and, and this all makes it so much harder. And I think that Thomas is, is right to address it. Graham's been right to address it as well because all that comes with it. You talk about blocking out all the noise and sometimes that's easy inside a football club. You're in the training ground and you, you restrict to what comes through. But when it's... When it starts affecting your family and and coming from from other areas where you can't protect it, doesn't matter how much money you you're, uh, you're getting paid every week, it doesn't make up for anything like that. No, because and, you know the LMA, I think, Rich, do a very good job in sort of the holistic care or advice that they provide for their members. Is there anything more? Do you think the game or the authorities can do to actually help protect managers from this sort of stuff? I think I think uh, David made a really good point. I think you can critique managers, look at the tactics, and and make critiques that way. But when it becomes personal, which we've seen on on various occasions this season, you know that's that's when the line is drawn, and and maybe more needs to be done. You say LMA working with with, with people in the media and and working with I don't know social media companies and things like that to try and change that narrative. So I think critique of performances, tactics, whatever, can have a, you can have your opinion on that. But when it becomes personal about you know things which have nothing to do with football, that, that's where it crosses the line, really. But I'm really pleased that Potter and, and Frank have spoken about this and, and called it out, really. And I think the more we talk about it, the more we have this dialogue, you know, we think, no, this that's not acceptable. And it's not acceptable to abuse anyone, as, you know, as we've spoken about many times. But, you know, as, as, as you say, like, the, you know, these are human beings at the end of the day. And... The fact we're talking about it now, I think it's positive because I think beforehand they may have been brushed under the carpet or thought, well, you know, they, they get paid enough. They're, they're, they should be big and bold to deal with it. It's a big club, big fan base. So what? But that's that's not good enough, especially now with abuse coming from all angles. So I think the more we talk about it, the more we call it out, try and find these people swift, firm prosecutions. It's the only way in which we can really see progress of it, really, because you say critique is fine, but death threats and things beyond football is just unacceptable. Sure. Spurs, lest we forget, David, the other London team with a one-goal first leg deficit to overcome. AC Milan, probably an easier challenge than Dortmund, I would have thought. Are they, Spurs, recovering from that blip, which you know led many of us to actually question their top four credentials? Yeah, they are. And I, and I think a lot of people are asking whether that's because Antonio Conte has been removed from that situation. And... <laughs> <laughs> And their the intensity from the manager isn't there, and um, it, it's it's funny, you know, watching how players react to assistant manager being charged because I've been in lots of situations when managers have been sacked and the assistant manager takes over, and it's almost like there's there's like a void in authority, you know, and it's it's amazing to see how other players react to that that void of authority, but. At the moment, they seem to be thriving. I'm not sure whether whether the focus always being the manager and the manager bringing a lot of focus on the side as well. You know, talking about his his future all the time, the way that he reacts to defeats after games as well. And just have that taken away from them a little bit, and they can just focus on the on the, the results and on the football themselves. Yeah. 
when you think about it, there's a recurring irony in football, probably embodied by Tamori at Milan. He's one of many players rich to excel after leaving Chelsea. Do you find it strange that he should be out of sight, out of mind in Italy? Because he does seem, in, in terms of talent, to have international pedigree. He really does. I mean, you look at you look at last season, for example, you know, he was integral to that Scudetto winning side. Uh, there's you know, there's no, no doubt about it. He, he was fantastic. And I think him not getting into the World Cup squad was a big surprise for many. You know, a few people have said that, you know, obviously Milan have not been doing too well this season and his performance at Stamford Bridge for AC Milan, I think they lost 3-0 in that game, wasn't great and Southgate was in attendance there and may or may not have made up his mind about his inclusion. But, he said he's back in the squad now after a brief injury, uh, you know, two clean sheets. Now he's back after three defeats. It's, it's no coincidence. Yeah, he's got everything in his game. You know, he does the basics well, good in the air, good of his feet and plays at the back. You know, he's the, the perfect international defender. So I'm um, same as you really, Mike. It's, it's kind of mind-boggling as to why he's not getting an opportunity. As you say, you can say out of sight, out of mind, but this is a side who he won the Scudetto. It's not as if he's playing mid-table or fighting relegation. And he's a key player for them. No doubt about it. So you'd like to think hopefully this season, this campaign and moving forward, he will get his chance. You know, he's young. He's got so many facets to his game where you think, no, this is a fantastic modern defender. And it it would be a shame if it was a case where he was bought by an English club, came back and then got into the England side. Because then you'd be thinking, well, what's going on here? Is he out of sight, out of mind? But yeah, someone like him or Fizilk should be getting an opportunity, 100%. Yeah. Indulge me for a second here, David. I was really amused to see a, a release from Spurs this week about signing a 15-year contract with Formula One and karting, in which this release trumpeted the so-called fact that an estimated, and I think that's basically taking a lot of weight, that word estimated, 5.9 billion people globally are interested in events held at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. That's nearly 80% of the world's population. Now, you know, you go back to the good old stroke, bad old days, Dave. Has the game gone? <laughs> well, I mean, it, it could be true. Those figures could be true. If you're taking everyone who who plays football, everyone who supports an NFL franchise, and everyone who drives a car, then they're probably somewhere around the, that, that figure. But it's... Um, <laughs> yeah, I think it's just a way that... I sympathise on the little bit because I think that to compete with the the levels of uh, finances that the likes of Saudi Arabia and Qatar are, are ploughing into to football clubs, that they have to so- try and generate it from somewhere. But I mean, they have to generate this interest in the inward finances of the club. But at the same time, it just smacks of a, a huge PR exercise. Nothing more. Yeah. Well, you know, I take that point about. You know, looking for external income, if you like. With that in mind, Rich, Newcastle are at Manchester City in the BT Sport match on Saturday lunchtime. You know, let's be frank here. The fans turned up at Wembley. The team didn't. What about that emotional come down? Do you think it could threaten the progress that they've been making? Could do potentially. I think, I think it's fourfold. Speaking to a lot of Newcastle fans after the game, you say there was there was that disappointment that obviously it was a massive game and the way the game panned out they didn't really lay a glove on United and you know maybe they would have thought they would have put up more of a fight 
But yeah, to say, I think I do think it is is fourfold your your question and the reasons for it. You say the fact they didn't need, lay a glove in the final, the fact they were beaten convincingly, the fact that when after qualifying for the final they did hit a run of poor form, and um, yeah, I think the final really highlighted the weaknesses that now it's now the game's finished. It's like wow, okay, this is where we are now. And to say the big 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 issue is putting the ball in the back of the net. They're creating chances, they're just not not scoring. You know, their XG differential is the worst in the league. Uh, and that's basically their goal scored takeaway XG, basically. So that basically just shows that they're just missing far too many good chances as well. Highlights the fact, you know, that Wilson's not playing too well, you know, in eight games since the World Cup. I think they've not scored in four of them. They only scored more than one goal in one game, and that was on Boxing Day when they beat Leicester 3-0. So you can see where the issues lie. I think defensively they're solid. Midfield, they've got the quality of Bruno Gimmerich, but then it's like what's happening after that. So I think it's up to how now to have taken take the team this far, you know, it's improved a lot of the players. Now is how do we get to that next step to maintain that momentum that they built, especially before the World Cup? Mm. So maybe just changing things around, you know, Isak's kind of regaining fitness and, you know, he's an exciting player. I'd like to see him, the likes of some Maximan as well, if he can get him firing. It's just changing that up so it doesn't become stale when they don't fall away. Because it'll be a massive shame for the start of the season they had if they were to tail away towards the end and, and miss out on European football altogether, which some fans, maybe being OTT, are, are thinking that's that's the case. And I, I don't think so. I think I think they'll stay in or around it. But yeah, I think it's just a case of they've, they've got that defensive stability now. So let's try and be a bit more creative going forward and, and see what happens and, and go for it. Mm. Manchester City... David, probably by common consent, not their best. But is their 90% better than most teams, 100% or even 110%? Well, I'll answer that by saying yes, 100%. <laughs> but it, but simply because they don't dip below that. They, they, re, they really don't. And I think, you know, if you've got a two-horse race where you're neck and neck... Other sides do have that sort of odd wobble, and they 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 simply don't do that. And I think that as competitive as it is this season so far up to now, you're always just thinking that they'll just move away at some point. They'll just find an extra gear or their consistency where they are. will just keep them in front of the rest. It's almost inevitable in my eyes. Mm. This is the final point, then, Rich. Uh, you mentioned Leicester then earlier. Out the FA Cup, beaten at home by Blackburn. They have what looks to be a, almost a critical game at Southampton at the weekend. Are they sleepwalking back into trouble? Again, it's, it's a weird one because it's a lack of consistency. And I think James Madison is at the heart of that. When he plays and when he plays well, look what they did to Spurs, look what they did to Villa. You know, they can be fantastic on their day. But then they lose him... They lose a few others, and you know, as we saw in the Blackburn game, I mean, they can be abs- you know, they can be all over the place, devoid of confidence, devoid of 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 quality. Um, they've got to be careful because they say <laughs> they started the season with, with a rotten run, call it back again before the World Cup, hit a bad bit of form again, and it's like this this peaks and troughs, peaks and troughs, peaks and troughs. So, I think they'll be fine. Like there there are teams that are worse than them. Many teams are worse than them, so like I think they'll be fine in that respect. But again, it's all about the timing. If if they decide to go on a bad run toward you know the end of April, May time, then they're in trouble because what seems to happen is, as you say, they'll play well for two games and then have a setback for three, play well for two, have a setback. So it just depends on on when that happens, really. But 
I think, as you say, keeping Madison fit is, is key. So Ross Tiedemann's now um, out for six weeks with an ankle injury, and he'll be a big miss. But as you say, it's just trying to find that consistency from somewhere. I've been impressed by their new signings, to be fair. I think they've done very well, for that, that, like Suter at the back. Left back is, is very good, bombs on as well, and you know supports Harvey Barnes quite well. And Antete on the other flank is, is an exciting prospect. So they can keep those three fit, try and get Madison fit in some some way or form, get a good run of games. Then I think I think they'll be fine and they can push up the table. But if not, then as you say, they won't get relegated. But it's just that run of form which is a big concern, really. Mm. Well, Southampton, of course, have placed their faith in Ruben Sellers. He deserves his chance after doing a succession of low-key jobs in Denmark, Azerbaijan, Spain, Greece and Russia. But I wonder where it leaves ambitious British coaches. Now, don't get me wrong, I don't believe in wrapping coaches in the flag, but increasingly, it seems, Premier League management is becoming a closed shop. As Dave said earlier, the pressures, the personal pressures, are only increasing. I think that's why we should hope against hope that Graham Potter comes through the fire at Chelsea. He might be the right man at the wrong club at the wrong time, but he's a good man and a rallying point for others in a brutal trade. In the meantime, just want to thank Dave and Richard for their expertise. And thanks also to Emmy Martinez for sharing the lessons of his life. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.